This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money Business Radio, SiriusXM. 132, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Kent Smithers, a professor here in the Wharton campus in Philadelphia. Remember, we're live every Tuesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern. That's uh, 2 to 3 p.m. for those of you on the West Coast. And the purpose of this show is simply help you make better decisions with your money. Uh, so you know the drill. Now's the time to give me a call. We'll go live on Tuesdays to grab the phone. Give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine. Four two seven eight six six, and today I'm going to be joined by two great guests. First will be uh, Dan Katie, who is with TIAA. I uh, may have heard of them in the past. It's called TIAA Craft. They've rebranded it's just TIAA now. And uh, we're going to be talking about retirement planning, including how do you think about hedging against longevity risk. In particular, that's the type of risk of outliving your assets. Very important, even more important than stock market risk. Uh, and so you really want to be prepared uh, for that. Sounds like, hey, living a long time is really great, but not when you run out of money. There's just so many things on the horizon, too, that can extend life, like gene editing, CRISPR, and so forth. So he's not an expert in gene editing, but we'll talk about different ways of hedging that type of risk. Dan Katie, who is the uh, chief financial planning strategist for TIAA, very large uh, uh, firm, and he's uh, also a certified financial planner. has been quoted in numerous national publications. Welcome to the show, Dan. It's great to be here, Ken. And if you have a question for Dan, especially about how do you make sure your assets live uh, uh, throughout your entire retirement, or another way of saying you don't outlive your assets, sounds like, again, a great time to call 1-844-WORTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So at TIAA, we've had uh, people on the show in the past from TIAA, but for a lot of listeners, you know, uh, they don't come from, you know, the the, uh, uh, higher education or from hospital systems and so forth. They may not have heard of TIA, even though you're a major player in that market. Describe a little bit about TIAA. Yeah, Kent, it's an interesting story because we originate way back in the days of Andrew Carnegie, and he found out that college professors could never retire because if they retired, they would literally retire into poverty. And, And that was the start of TIAA, in order to provide pensions for uh, college professors, and we're widely known uh, not just in colleges but in nonprofits, sure. uh, and uh, really a full full service uh, financial financial firm. Yeah, yeah, and I uh, it, it, it certainly, of course, higher education has changed dramatically over the years. But in, you guys are, are a monster company. I mean, uh, what's your total assets uh, uh, these days? You know, I don't have it right in, in front yeah. of me, but, uh, you know, we're with, you know, thousands and thousands of uh, institutions. Right. And yeah. one of the things that we're also big on, which people don't realize, and this is more in where I work, is is financial planning and helping yeah. people go deeper into into their retirement planning. Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit about retirement planning. You know, the conversations often, you know, focus on, you know, accumulated savings. How much do you need? What's your magic number? All that type of stuff. I mean, do you actually believe in the kind of this magic number or is a number for you? Um, you know, or is it, you know, every situation is very different? 
Well, I think uh, the magic number was kind of unfortunate yeah. because it's based on really just accumulation. So they're saying, well, if you save enough and you earn a high enough uh, investment return, and say you end up with a million dollars at retirement, and then they back in and say, well, you could spend $40,000 a year plus Social Security. But what they're missing, besides the fact that the rules that it's based on are not actual rules, and they would change depending on your assumptions. Yeah. But they're missing perhaps kind of the biggest thing that I could think of, mm-hmm. which is think of the analogy of a mountain climber. Okay, so when you're saving for retirement, you're literally walking up that mountain until you come to the summit. And let's say that takes you 40 years. Well, the other side coming back down or deaccumulation, converting it to income, could easily be 30 years. It could be, in some cases, you know, 40 years. So I think we're really missing the core point unless we talk to people about income. As a matter of fact, on all our statements, we try to get people thinking about income because it's actually easier for them to, to think it through. But on a planning standpoint, remember, distribution planning and how you do it matters. As a matter of fact, it could be more complicated than saving for retirement. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no question about that. And again, speaking, speaking with Dan Katie, who is the chief financial planning strategist for TIAA. And uh, give us a call if you we want to talk about retirement planning here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And certainly, you know, you mentioned Social Security. You know, around you know mid twenty thirty something, depending if you what numbers you look at. Penworn uh, the the Penworn budget model that, that I'm the faculty director of. We have a, it, the, the trust fund depleted in around 2033 to 2034, similar to CBO and uh, the Social Security Administration. CBO is a little bit earlier uh, than that. But either way, you know, it's not that far away and pay, payable benefits will be less than scheduled, you know, the current benefit formula uh, these days. Uh, and, and so uh, how do you guys approach when you incorporate Social Security assumptions? Do you assume that it, it's going to get fixed, or you kind of do some haircut just in case? That's a great point. And, and what do we do knowing that nobody knows what's going to happen right. in 2033 or 2034? Uh, but what we've done in many of our tools is can, we've created the ability, when you're planning for retirement, to give yourself a haircut if you want. So we start out with uh, benefits as they are today. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to know what they could be changed to. Uh, and the, the actual formulas that would be used uh, in order to, to update Social Security. But the other part that we've seen is people in a survey recently, the 2019 income survey that we do, one of the big worries that they mentioned was significant cuts to Social Security. So, yeah. so people are starting to really, really worry about that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's you know it'd be it's going to be very interesting certainly uh, how things uh, 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 pan out over time. So we certainly you know live in, in, in interesting times. You know, exciting even though uh, you know technological growth has actually slowed down over time. A lot of people don't realize that technology has actually uh, has, has slowed, not increased in, in pace. 
it, certain technologies, you know, graphene, CRISPR, gene editing, things like that have are on the horizon. And in, in particular, there's, you know, some possibility that even a guy my age, uh, 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 52, could live to 120, you know, if there's some big, great breakthrough and so forth. So how do we think about, you know, planning for, uh, you know, un, un known future like that because it's not just the risk uh, that's involved. There's a lot of uncertainty uh, as well in terms of even what the risk distributions even even look like. Yeah, so when we talk about that, I think it's important to take one step back and realize the first thing people can do to contain their potential medical expenses, even though there's much better treatments, but try to avoid getting chronic disease. For example, yeah. I know based on my waist size, and I've got to get it down, that I'm more likely to pick up some diseases, and those could cost me an awful lot over a short period of time. Now, interestingly, if you're healthy, and this is what no one gets, if you're healthy uh, or you know, medical advances keep you healthy longer, your medical expenses actually can increase yeah. way above sick people. Right. which everyone goes, wait, that can't be right, Dan. You've got to have messed up something. But let's think about the person who's ill and they pass away. They spend a lot of money, but they die at 70, say, compared to the person who lives to be 95. The person who lives to 95, who you know, later on may get ill also, uh, mm-hmm. is going to spend a lot more money, a lot more money. That's right. So, so it's, yeah. And the other part, and I don't know if you've run into this, camp, but I've run into this all the time, People will use ages and say, well, Dan, shouldn't I plan to, you know, uh, 85 or 89 or, or something like that? And what they're missing is that, you know, often people are living uh, into their 90s. Yeah. Uh, I was at a seminar last year. A guy came up to me and said, you know, my, my mother received the annuity check from TIA until she passed away at 100 Right. So, and I know for a fact that we have many people who are getting checks for 100. Now, I can't say what's going to happen with technology. It's not my field. But I came up with three things that I think are really smart for people to do. Number one, if you do have a high deductible plan at work for medical, use the HSA as more than an in and out account, but as a savings vehicle. Right. Because it's tax free in, tax free growth, tax free out for medical expenses. And then, this is my pet peeve, when you're planning for retirement, you need to build in medical expenses. That's what we do here at TIA, because people often think, well, I'm not really going to pay much in medical costs uh, because of Medicare and et cetera. But the reality is you need to build those in, and we also build them in inflating by more than inflation. It's likely medical expenses will grow or continue to grow more than inflation uh, over the foreseeable yeah. And that's been you know, certainly, yeah, that's certainly been the history is uh, a medical inflation typically higher than the, than the CPI. And, and it, you, you really hit on the point that I was trying to emphasize is that it's living long that it's not just even the medical expenses that are associated with that. It's even just the regular consumption of if you happen to live a very long uh, time. It's one of the reasons why one of my many pet peeves with financial planning software that's commonly used is to look at expected outcomes. Um, and it's really 
really the risk that we want to insure against. Like you said, you could live a long time. There could be even higher medical expenses uh, and versus dying soon and dying quick. Uh, and a lot of and it's even non-medical expenses that gets uh, uh, taxed out. So let's talk about, you know, think about income for life. I mean, as you know, there's a lot of you know annuity products out there, and on this show, we often are not per, you know very positive on so-called variable annuities uh, because they offer, in you know they're technically a lifetime annuity, but uh, for tax purposes, uh, but in, in all practice, they're you know certain year annuities, and um, often get you know marketed in a way that you know that uh, having tax savings that are actually not particularly uh, attractive when you actually current to the numbers and so forth. What we're really talking about here is like fixed annuities, you know, lifetime income, you know, uh, options here. So you talk about that. You getting people to get, you know, buy those has been always very challenging. I'll come back to that in a second. But talk about some of the options there for trying to create guarantees for income. Yeah. So the first thing that comes up is, first of all, not all annuities are the same. Right. And can some are so complex. Honestly, I, and I've been in the business for, you know, since the 1980s, I have difficulty uh, reading through and figuring out how oh, it yeah. works. So some yeah. annuities are, are just a mess, yeah. and some can also be very, very costly. So what we're really talking about today, and I think you just alluded to it, is the type of annuity that is typically talked about by academics, where you're in a spot where, uh, especially institutionally priced, like if you are part of a large plan, uh, you can you can actually you know buy them cheaper than if you're buying them retail, but the core point being, and just quickly so people understand how it works is because people often say well how does it pay for life that seems you know right. just doesn't make sense. It, it's actually just actuarial math, not magic, because I learned this when I joined the firm in 1993 because I I didn't know so I assume most people don't. The key concept with annuities is it's a big cohort, and some of that cohort pass away early, and some live very, very long time. And using this co- co- cohort, they're able to figure out how they can pay a, uh, a payment for life. It's simply, it's really like a community. Some live and some pass away. So it's really not magic, though some people find it difficult to, to see that. Now, jumping back to other types of annuities, um, one of the challenges, I think, when people look at those is they're trying to do two things at once in many of them. They're trying to have, keep their accumulation intact, uh, get an income, and hopefully grow it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's very difficult to do. We, we talk, Kent, about the concept of really having a diversified income plan. So the first pillar, as we've talked about, is Social Security. Right. And the second one is, is really your pension. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people don't have pensions, and the second uh, pillar is, is the pension. If you don't have that, we talk about a self-pension, which, again, is a simple uh, fixed annuity that pays out for someone's lifetime. And then, finally, their investment portfolio. And the reason it's so important is how you do that and the combination of how you draw income can actually improve your outcomes during retirement. And, again, that's why the magic number is kind of interesting 
but really designing a well-crafted income plan is what can lead to better outcomes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's well, you know, it certainly end with this, that it's been an incredible challenge. You know, you said it's the type of annuities us academics, you know, like to talk about. And, you know, a perfect, you know, and it just shows that, in fact, these fixed annuities really haven't taken off in, in, in the market. As a pure coincidence, I... Uh, TIAA, you know, sponsors the Paul A. Samuelson Award, and I won that uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago for a paper published in the AER on annuities. <laughs> and in fact, uh, it's those type of academic, you know, annuities that academics like to talk about. Um, and they've been really challenging to convince people that, you know, hand over money and exchange, get this income stream that's going to pay you for the rest of their life, even though this, the, the value of this mortality uh, survival credit is really big because what you're trying to insure against is not outliving your assets. Uh, big mystery for years, you know, uh, why people aren't buying more of these things. How successful have you guys been in trying to, you know, uh, get people to move in that direction, though the direction that, you know, us academics would want to see people move into? And, you know, what is the messaging? Because, you know, the, the concern is that people say, well, maybe I'll need that bucket of money for out-of-pocket medical expenses or, you know, emergencies that come up. Or maybe they're implicitly saying, yeah, I believe in TIA. They've been around forever. Uh, but at the same time, you just never know. You know, Lehman, uh, Lehman Brothers went out and they were in business for a long time. And are they going to be good, you know, good for it? And on TIA side, you're not allowed to, you know, talk about the state, you know, insurance uh, uh, plans that, you know, uh, that back these things, in, in, at least in a limited way. So how, how has your messaging been to try to get, you know, get people to think, you know, about lifetime income through an annuity product? Yeah, and, and I've been here a long time at TIA since the 90s, and I, people were really well-versed back then in the concept of when you retire, you probably want to have a lifetime income yeah. with some of your money. And interestingly enough, it's starting to come back around. We see more and more people who are interested in it because they're seeing it now within the context of an overall plan. Like yeah. we just talked about, that diversified income plan. And they go, oh, Social Security, I get it. Yeah. Oh, um, I want to have a little bit more that's guaranteed that's locked in. And to your point, you know, it's not a mystery because you walk around and you see people who are living into their 90s. Right. And people get that. They really do. So we see a big uptake in that, and also I think one of the things that helps is that TIA, we actually share the profits, so to speak. So in other words, money goes into that pool to pay extra. So if we earn extra, it goes out to the the people in the form of additional dividends. And that also, too, has been a big impact on it. But globally, getting away from TIA, but globally we're even hearing much more about lifetime income. When I go to a financial planning conference, right, for CFPs, I'll hear, you know, they always have presentations now on lifetime income. Ten years ago, they, they never did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's exciting to see. I mean, it's, uh, it's you know, in my opinion, a little bit, it would like it like to have seen it a little bit earlier, but, you know, it's, it's good to, to finally uh, see that conversation kind of reemerge. Uh, Dan, fantastic job, really informative. Thanks so much for coming on the show. 
My pleasure, Ken. And if you're interested in learning more about Dan Kitty and in particular TIAA, you can simply go to the website TIAA.org. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 